millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Whoa, whoa, what's that? I have, I have news for you. Lovely news for people in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Japan, India, and more. Star Trek Lower Decks is coming to Amazon Prime. Now, if this is gonna be your first watch of Star Trek Lower Decks, it's gonna be landing in January of next year. We have ups and downs episodes for every episode of season one, all 10 of them, available right here on this channel. You've got myself, you've got Marcus, you've got Adam, going through them all week by week, or episode by episode if you wanna binge them all. Great news. Great news just before Christmas. Mike McMahon's little Christmas gift to all of us. Now with that happy little cherub, we are gonna go into this week's episode of Ups and Downs. By now, you know the drill. Everything we like, we're gonna give it an up. Everything we don't like, we're gonna give it a down. So without any further delay, welcome to Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 10, Ups and Downs, Terra Firma Part 2. The episode picks up exactly where it left off last week. Uh, Mirror Michael, for the rest of this episode, I will just call her Michael until we're talking about normal Michael, <sighs> gets chucked into the brig. She's not very happy about it because she wants to die. Now you might be asking, why does she want to die? Well, because it's weak to let her live. And that is the crux of the problems that Giorgio faces this week, is that the people around her, generally, they can spot the fact that something has changed, something is different. And she needs to do something to prove herself. She has a little bit of standard threatening and bargaining with Michael in the brig. Now it doesn't go very well. Michael kind of screams out to everyone, I'll kill you all, which is really interesting if you're trying to not die. So she's chucked into the agonizer booth and, you know, it's a great time. But what there is, which is a lot of fun, it is in fact my first up of the episode. I might have some sadistic ups this episode, okay, so sorry in advance. But my first up of this episode is Captain Killy's little smirk when Giorgio says to her that she has the reputation of being the most feared torturer in all of the galaxy. That's pretty brilliant because it's just Mary Wiseman's little smile, just enough to go like, oh God in heaven, I do not want to be stuck at the mercy of this version of Tilly. She absolutely revels in her job. She turns the agonizer up and then she turns it up a little bit more and then Burnham has a little bit of a scream and oh, what's that? Up it goes again. Tilly knows what she's at. 
this scene, this, I suppose, montage of interrogation and, yes, torture, it's done quite quickly. And that led to what I thought might have been a down. Now, it wasn't. But, but this scene, it goes quite quickly. You get switching perspectives. But all of the time, you know that poor Al Burnham, she's having a, she's having a bad time in that agonizer booth. And if she'd only just tell them where Lorca is, maybe she could skip a bit of this. Yeah. It'd be fun to see Lorca this week, wouldn't it? We go into the opening credits and I'm sorry, guys. Down. We have mentioned a few times this season, you know, were the opening credits going to change? I had to think about this because we live in an era of streaming where it's so simple just to hit skip intro. So I think any company would be forgiven for phoning it in. And a lot of places don't. You know, we live in, well, we live in a post Game of Thrones age, I should say, where the opening credits are nearly an event in themselves. So it would have been nice this season to see the Discovery in the credits switch to the Discovery A would make sense. We have other little changes. We have the Dot Sevens are in there. We have the new type of phaser, the new com badges. So some changes were made. So when these opening credits opened up and straight away they're blue, I thought, oh, okay, okay. And you get the idea. It's a flipped negative because the Discovery is flying through. It is unchanged. And okay, Mirror Discovery didn't become Discovery A. That's fair enough. That's fine. There wasn't really any other change. You know, I think they put a red rim on the eyes of the Dot Sevens. But other than that, all they did was flip and change the colour of the credits. And I even wish they hadn't done it. You know, it reminds me very much of, um, I wonder how many Fringe fans there are in watching today. You know, when they went to uh, look away, if you were planning to start watching Fringe, by the way. Okay, I've given you a chance. When they went to a parallel universe, everything about the opening credits changed. You know, and it was really obviously different. This, not so much. It felt like it was a bit of a afterthought, nearly. So I'm downing it because... It's not that I hated the idea, they just didn't do anything with it. That aside, we go to what is an up, and it is one of the best ups of the episode. You have, after, you know, Burnham tries to basically convince Giorgio that she's come back to her side, and uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't buy it. Giorgio seems to buy it. Okay, okay. So she's in her quarters with Saru. Saru is brushing her hair. And what follows is, well, it's beautiful. It's a really, really nice scene between the two of them. Now, obviously, this is not the Saru of the Prime Universe. This is the Saru who's been a slave his entire life. This is the Saru who's lost everyone. And he does, in fact, name drop the fact that he did lose Sarana in this universe. So he is a broken man, but she treats him like a man. You know, she treats him like someone who matters. You know, he is afraid that he's about to face the Vaharai and she is able to tell him, she is able to calm his nerves and say, it's all a lie. All of it has been a lie. You are so much stronger than you think you're going to be and you are going to become so much stronger than you think you're going to be. And she goes one further is, she actually out and out tells him that she knew another man named Saru. 
and he was the captain of a starship. And of course, this Saru is both in shock and in awe because what he's hearing is something that no person in his position could ever have dared to dream. And she is saying it as absolute fact. Now he calls it, he says, you're not a Terran. And she basically says, that doesn't matter. That's, that's, we're not here to talk about me. We're talking about you. This, this scene is one of the best that Doug Jones and Michelle Yeoh have shared together. So even if there might have been a slightly different version on a character, it was still really nice to see Giorgio and Saru exchange. It was a scene of pure tenderness. And it was, yep, it was a definite up this week for me. I have to go to a little bit of a down here now as well. So last week we were absolutely delighted with, allow me to rephrase, some people were delighted with the return to the Mirror Universe. And that's absolutely fine. Not everybody loves the Mirror Universe. I didn't love it in season one. I did like it last week. We got a couple of nice cameos. We got Hannah Cheeseman there as Arium. She returns this week. Very, very cool. Gets a few lines. You know, we have other characters pop up and we got Rika Sharma was back as Landry, which was like, oh, brilliant. Okay. You know, they've, they've hoisted her from the history of season one and brought her to season three. So I suspected last week that this was going to be the precursor to Lorca coming back and, you know, attempting to overthrow the emperor. And unfortunately, none of that happens. So I'm not downing the fact if there was no Lorca, look, these things happen in Hollywood, might not have been available, who knows? Or maybe it was never the intention to get him back, who knows? But they did get back Landry for all of about four seconds. You know, she was chugging a shot last week and then this week she turns a corner and I think she gets off one shot on her face or maybe two before she's killed by Burnham. What was the point? So that's why it's a down to me, it was, it was just pointless and it was like a tease for something better. So it's it's not at all that I don't like to see returning faces. It's just like, give me something more than that. Arium, for example, th- that was very, very good the way that was handled. It was great to see her back and badass and, you know, she got something to do. Nielsen gets a little bit to do. You know, everyone sort of has a reason for being there except for Landry. Now, one thing that I mentioned just a few minutes ago that I thought was going to be a down was going to be, wow, Giorgio is trusting Michael really quickly. Yes, it's alluded to that she's been months in this agonizer. So although we only see a couple of minutes of screen time, maybe there is room to believe that, you know, okay, Grant. And it pays off up Burnham's coop actually is really, really good in this. And it's because... Giorgio never believed her for a second. Now, a few people die along the way, but this is the mirror universe. This is just kind of what happens. So that in itself, yep, that that sticks true to character. The fact that she arms Saru, that they have got this bond and he and the other Kelpian come in and help her. The fact that poor Al Culber gets on the wrong side of Saru. Do not get on the wrong side of Saru. Deceptively strong arms. And we have Captain Killy, who is 100% loyal. And we have Oasis Khan, who is 100% loyal. And they absolutely carve through Burnham's crew. And it is, it's, it's good, not because it's fun just to see, oh, Burnham was teeth gnashing and bad and everything. 
It's because Giorgio might really want this to happen. Giorgio might really want a reconciliation and she might want to guide Burnham into the version of the future that she has got to. But that doesn't mean she's forgotten what it was like when she was there. She hasn't forgotten the fact that the Terran universe is not based around understanding, it's not based around coming to terms with each other, and it's not based around peace. Specifically, peace was called out quite a few times this week. You can't get spoils from peace is one thing that Burnham says. Giorgio, whether she believes you can or not, is sort of up in the air still, but she does believe in a better path than just war and dominion and just trampling the enemies because as she alludes to what's the point of that they won't support you if you just keep destroying them so i really like the coup it does end with a sword through burnham's belly and a knife in Giorgio's neck which is of course not much fun but again you just get this kind of beautiful scene where Giorgio lies dying in Saru's arms and yeah, I like this scene. We zoom in on Giorgio's eyes and we zoom back out again. And she's back on the planet. She's beside Prime Burnham, who for the rest of this episode will be Burnham, and Carl from last week. And from Carl and Burnham's point of view, she's only been gone less than a minute. But from her point of view, she's gone for months. She quickly manages to realize that no, she was gone for that time because she's got her magical Fitbit that has been recording three months worth of biodata and so it couldn't have been a hallucination and so they look to Carl for an answer and initially he's somewhat cryptic and then eventually they just demand who are you he is the guardian of forever some eagle-eyed people spotted some of the great easter egg clues last week the guardian of forever comes from the harlan ellison penned script the city on the edge of forever it is one of the seminal episodes of star trek it is another wonderful wonderful allusion to the original series and some of the lines of dialogue that carl gets as well really talk about the difference between then and now he talks about his purpose as a gate through time that he used to be quite loose with the rules as he says anyone could go through and as long as they tidied up their mess they were fine of course alluding to the fact that mccoy went through changed the past kirk and spock went through to fix everything uh seriously if you haven't watched it watch sit in the edge forever speaking directly to people who might have only joined with discovery absolutely worth it you'll catch it cbs all access or netflix outside of the us he talks about then that as time went by and the temporal wars started and the temporal wars obviously from enterprise and from discovery he was starting to see that his role in the temporal wars could end up being something highly destructive he shifted himself to this planet because this is not the planet where the enterprise encountered him in the original series this is a totally different planet altogether and it took as burnham says having a correlation of the sphere data which had a hundred thousand years of history matched with the data of modern starfleet databases she could then extra extrapolate the location of the guardian she knew the guardian would be able to help Giorgio. So it actually tracks. It makes sense from A to B to C. The reveal is a fantastic scene and the further explanation as to who Carl is, through his own words, it's 
wonderful. He is a guide to Giorgio as well because unfortunately, as we see within seconds, she is not coming back to stay here. This looks like this is it. This looks like the end of the line for Giorgio. If she stays in place, she's dead. It's a good thing she's standing beside a big gate, isn't she? Which leads me to another up, her departure scene, that whole exchange with Burnham. It's, it's handled really, really well. If this is Michelle Yeoh's swan song from Star Trek Discovery, I think they nailed it. She shows that she's grown as a character. She is still not prime Philippa Giorgio. And Burnham, she does say that you are my Philippa. You know, she's not that Philippa, but she is Burnham's Philippa. There is an understanding between them. There is that relationship that Emperor Giorgio wanted with Captain Burnham, which she does have with Prime Burnham, even if it's always been contentious and arm's length and all of that fun Terran stuff. But they really grew together. And while Michelle Yeoh overall in season three was a little bit wasted, as a close for this story, it was done very, very well. It worked. It was tight, it was emotional, and if this is the last time we see Giorgio in this context, I think it was a good ending. It's an up from me, and it was a nice payoff to her story. Now, the last thing really for this episode is unfortunately a down. So, again, this may seem slightly petty, sorry, but everyone is in the mess hall toasting Giorgio. And it just feels kind of like nonsense. Okay, let me explain. Saru's toast feels genuine. You know, her barbs were glorious. Okay, do I think he really felt that at the time? No, but okay. Burnham does great toasts. It's all wonderful. Like that, that was always gonna be lovely. But then, you know, Tilly toasts her and says, you know, you know, I learned a lot, that's fine. And then, you know, Detmer toasts her and and, and Colbert, and it just feels like that they've all lost this great friend who, who died. Giorgio, despite everything I have just said about her, would have seen these people's heads on spikes over and over again. None of this feels particularly earned. As I say, Saru, Burnham, and to a lesser extent, maybe Tilly. Yep, I understand the toast, no problem. I understand the support. I understand the, you know, missing her. Everybody else, it feels like, and it kind of feels like what's happened a little bit with this season is that they're sort of being forced into situations that they were never in, you know? And much as I'm really enjoying Nilsson this season, she, oh yes, all of those great scenes she had with George O. And the same with Bryce and, you know, uh, Detmer, Detmer's had more to do this season, but you know, these kind of ideas. It's, it was a little bit kind of saccharine sweet, the ending. So, didn't really do it for me. The rest of the episode more or less just outlines what's gonna happen next week. We quickly see the return of Reno, which is fun. You quickly see that uh, Book is sharing Emerald Chain technology to get Discovery working. Vance finds out about this, is not happy. He is not happy at all to find out that they're using Emerald Chain technology. Now, I don't know, maybe that is because he doesn't want them communicating with the Emerald Chain because of we've speculated before that maybe the Federation are bad guys, which I absolutely think they are this season, but however. And 
you kind of feel like he's a bit mm, to Saru. Although he does say something fair, Saru didn't inform him that the uh, the Kiev is a Kelpian ship. Vance calls him and says, you know, were you thrown a bit? The fact that you want to see another Kelpian. I think it's an absolutely fair question, despite the fact that I think he's, you know, evil. So yeah, that whole scene, it's all set up to go to this nebula for next week. And it did feel like, oh yeah, we've got to get there. There was a little bit of that feeling tacked on. Neither an up nor in down just puts us in place for next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.